want you to go, if you have your Bibles in your homes, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This is Paul. He's writing to the church at Philippi. And it's interesting, he addresses this letter different than a lot of the other letters. When he's writing to the church, usually he says, to the church. To the church at Philippi. To the church at. But in this letter, to the church at Philippi, he doesn't say to the church. He says this, to the saints. Which is interesting that he says saints instead of church, which most theologians believe because of the persecution of the church, that at that point, listen to this, they were meeting in homes, not in buildings. That the Philippian church had been now relegated to meet in homes. So Paul says, not just to the building at Philippi, he says to the saints. And so I want to say right now, today, I want to say to the saints of church 1132 to the saints that belong to the kingdom of God. It says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all the preachers in the room are going to get the message right away, to what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me served to advance me. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, everyone's observing it, and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, because of what has bound me, because of Corona, because of COVID-19, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing that is in, that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Do you know you can rejoice in uncertain times? Paul said, he's in chains. He's in prison. He says, the gospel's going forward. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This letter written to the saints at Philippi. Now Paul is doing what Paul does as he begins to just dissect really the heart of God for the people of God. And he says that even in the midst of his crisis... Right, he's in prison, he's in jail, he's in a difficult time. He says, what has happened to me is serving to advance me. I, th- I think it's interesting how powerful fear really is. Your fear is contagious. When people begin to panic, when people begin to fear, it's contagious, it spreads. Because you begin to feel what they feel. You, you ever been in a room where someone gets afraid, and all of a sudden someone else gets, it, it's, it's contagious. And I was thinking about this week, and, and we've been calling this series Fearona, not Corona, Fearona, because really there is as much as there is a pandemic and there is a virus that's spreading, there is, this, there is a virus of fear that has tried to come on the people of God. 
And people ask, well, who is the legitimate source of information right now? Is it the CDC? Is it the who? Like, who, who do we go to to get information? And I'm going to tell you that the, the only true source of information is still the Word of God. I know it's not popular. I know people don't like it that much. I know they want to just say, well, science says, and this, and that. I get all of that. But I want you to know at the end of the day, the Word of God trumps the Word of man. The Word of God trumps every other report. The Word of God trumps every news report. I'm telling you that if we get back to the Word of God, it will begin to change the way that we speak and the way that we think. But fear is, fear is a powerful enemy. If you think about it, fear it begins it begins to take your mind over you begin to accelerate your thoughts i was thinking about this fear is a thief that's what fear is fear aims to rob your confidence in god you ever felt that it's it's that fear happens and then all of a sudden your confidence goes to from in god to in the situation I have more confidence that the bad thing that I'm fearing will happen than the good thing that God wants to do. So it's a thief. Fear is a thief. Fear is an imposter. It's an imposter. This is why fear is an imposter. Because fear poses as truth. Does that make sense? Fear, it poses as the truth. Because what I fear, I take as truth. This, this, this is the really scary thing about believing a lie. Because when you believe a lie, it ceases to be a lie to you. It becomes truth. So if you're afraid you're going to die, you do not really think that you're believing a lie. The lie has now become your truth. So fear poses as an imposter. I'm going to teach you a couple things today if that's all right. I'm going to preach here in a second. But I want to teach you that fear will set itself up as an imposter where you begin to think that what actually is, is a lie is truth. Fear is a liar. It's a liar. That, that, that's, fear does not tell the truth. Fear is a liar. It deceives us. It makes a prediction about the future, but it makes it feel as if it's a prophecy. A prophecy is foretelling or foretelling what is about to happen. It's something that's coming. So what fear does is it poses as a prophet. A prophet that says this will happen. Now I begin to think about if that happens, then this will happen. And if that happens, then this will happen. And I'll lose this. And I'll lose her. And I'll lose. And fear accelerates itself and it sets itself up as a prophet of doom. But fear is not a prophet. Fear is a prediction. It's, it's, it's saying that I feel, based on my past, based on what I've gone through, I feel like this could happen. Based on what I read, based on what I saw, I feel like this could happen or would. Fear. Fear. This is what's plaguing our nation. But it's not just plaguing our nation. It's plaguing the church. Fear is plaguing the church. I was talking to some of my family yesterday, and I begin to think about this, is, is at times... I, even in my own life, try to be careful with faith because I don't want to be labeled as the faith guy because I understand natural law and science and we have to be careful. I want to do all that, but this is the truth. Our spiritual life has to be practical and our practical life has to be spiritual. So I believe it with all my heart that we need to take, take precautions and we need to do what's being asked of us. But I also believe 
that the word of God is stronger than any other word. I also believe that in the midst of this, God has a plan. I also believe that God still has supernatural power. I also believe that even a positive corona test is not my death sentence because I believe that my God has declared I will live and not die to proclaim the works of the Lord. There is sometimes in your life that you have to hold on to truth. Truth is not facts. Truth is the word of God. Facts have to bow. Facts are natural. Facts are natural. Facts are na- they have to bow to the truth of the word of God. I, I remember with Jude and Genesis, my boys, they, they were learning how to swim. And uh, they were starting to get confident in the pool, and they're swimming. And, and uh, Genesis is just like a little daredevil. And uh, I was like, hey, Genesis, I'm going to show you uh, one of the coolest jumps you can do in the pool. Because they were having a competition, and then I would judge them, right? So between on a scale of 1 to 10, they would try to do a trick in the pool. And I'm like, the, be- the best thing you could do is, is a belly flop. I said, Dad, what's a belly flop? I'm like, bro, you just sell out. You sell out. You jump with everything you are and just hit your belly first. Just arms out, face out, just, just go for it. And that kid just tore off to the edge of the pool, went full spread eagle, and smacked. I mean, belly flop. I gave him a 10, but he came up. He said, Dad, that hurt. I said, yeah, yeah I, I know, but it looked awesome. You know, just got to focus on the positives. And I said, man, that was so awesome. Do it again. I want to get on video. And he said, no, I'm not doing it again. I said, no, come on, do it again. You already did it once. It's incredible. It's awesome. I just want to get on video. He said, no, Dad, it hurt. So the thing that he had the courage to do the first time, he now has fear to do the second time because of the pain of what had happened. Fear predicates itself on the past. It, 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 It sets up its throne on past failures, disappointments, or pain. It thri- fear thrives, it lives, it breathes in pain. And you can notice this, and you can almost always track fear back to someone else's or your painful situation. But I want to talk about the opposite of fear. I want to talk about the pivot of fear into faith. Most people think, well, if, if I have faith, I won't have fear. And it's not true. You can be, you can have fear and still have faith. It's your faith has to become bigger than your fear. It is never that fear goes away. Last night, I struggled with fear. I was walking through some things and I'm thinking, and I, my mind began to race. I said, no, I got to stop because my faith has to be bigger than what I, it's not that we never have fear. It's that the faith is bigger than our fear. Fear has selective memory about the past. It maximizes danger in the present. And it prophesies the worst about the future. I think it's on the screen. I'm going to repeat it to you. Fear has selective memory about the past. I only remember the pain. I don't remember the victory. It maximizes danger in the present. This is going to kill me. This is the worst thing I ever saw. And it prophesies the worst about the future. You'll never get over it. You'll never be okay. You'll never be all right. It won't end up like you want it to do. You shouldn't have good thoughts or good expectations because this is going to end bad. It begins to prophesy about the future. Fear is a presumption, not a prophecy. Now, I want to talk to you about faith. 
Because in our text in Philippians, we see Paul talking about a terrible situation in which he, for some reason, has great faith. If anybody has a reason to be afraid, it's Paul. He's been through persecution. He's been through shipwrecks. He was boiled in oil. He was whipped. All kinds of persecution. And he, now he is in chains. And he's writing a book of the Bible. And he has no fear. He's full of faith. Verse 12, it said this, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So let me tell you something about faith. Faith elevates. If you, if you really have faith, it will elevate you. It'll elevate the gospel. It'll elevate God's call on your life. It'll elevate God's purpose in your life. The thing that meant to take Paul down was actually the thing that elevated him. There, there, there was people that he was able to preach to that he would have never been able to preach to unless he was in prison. If he hadn't have gone through what he went through, he wouldn't have affected the people that he affected. If he didn't go through what he went through, he would have never had the platform on which he had. His problem became his platform. See, our, our perspective is so important when we feel fear or when we face crisis because for many of us, we think that our problem is our death sentence. This is Paul in this, in, in this text. This is Paul looking back because he says that the chains that I, will, I am in, what happened to me happened is past tense. So he's talking about the past. What happened to me served to advance the gospel. Do you know hindsight is 2020? Looking back, if you look back right now, we could, we could think about bad things that happened to us, but you could see the faithfulness of God in it. You could look at bad things, you could say, oh my goodness, look at what God pulled from that. Look what God did. Look at how God turned. Think about the miracles in your life. I would imagine, I would bet a lot of money if I was a betting man, but I'm a Christian, I don't bet. Uh, I would imagine that all of the miracles, all, 100% of them, all the miracles that God's done in your life happened out of a problem. So if you think back, this is what Paul said, when I think back, the chains that bound me actually served to advance me. Oh yeah, the, the, the thing that tried to pull me down actually elevated me and gave me a platform to preach the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you something really scary, all right? So if you, you need a stack break, this is your moment because you don't want to hear this. This is not popular. Paul does not say that it advanced him. He says, what has happened to me served to advance what? The, the gospel. That's the disconnect in America is that we think what's happened to me needs to promote me. It needs to advance me. But Paul had it right because he knew that it was less of him and more of God. He knew that his life was a drink offering being poured out for others. And he said, if I have to go through this to advance the gospel, then so be it. It's a life well lived. See, we, we get our focus so wrong because everything in our world is about us. What happened to me? Will it advance me? Paul wasn't even concerned about him. He later in, the, in this chapter, he says, whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter. But it's the gospel. I know this isn't popular, but this is what, this is what my grandfather used to preach. This is what generations of, of, of old used to preach. This, this is what they used to preach, is that your life is in your life. 
We don't teach that now. We teach like preserve your life. Take care of your life. Take care of you. Watch out for you. Take care of yourself. Don't worry about others. People stressing you out, cut them out of your life. Community stressing you out, cut it out of your life. Finances stressing you out, stop giving. Stop doing. The older generations, they would say, where is your faith? The older generations would say, let's go. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and let's do business. It's not about me. It's not about my business. It's not about my comfort. It's not about what I want. God, if your gospel is advanced, then so be it. It's a little disconcerting because we care about our own comfort and our own welfare, which I think is normal. But Paul shows us a perspective of faith that says, God, this is all about you. Faith elevates. It's Paul looking back. But also we see faith energizes. Faith energizes. This is Paul now in present, in the present. This is in his present. Look at this in verse 14. And it says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He talked about his past, about the chains that advanced the gospel, but now he's talking about his present. Currently, in chains, the people, the believers, were being encouraged. Now, they were not encouraged because he was in chains. They were encouraged because of his attitude while he was in chains. They were encouraged that God could still use him in the midst of crisis. They were encouraged that God could still use him in the midst of trouble. See, even in the, the, the state that our world is in, God can still use you. This is actually an opportunity for the believers to show the world that our faith and our trust in God is real. Your faith and trust is not tested in normal, everyday, perfect life. I'm going to tell you this. Faith is tested now. In the middle of a crisis, with no uncertainty, with, with, with certain, with, with, with all kinds of uncertainty, this is the moment that our faith is tested. All kinds of people can believe God for healing when they're not sick. But then the doctor's report comes, and you find out you're sick, and it's like, well, doctor gave me three to five months. Well, before you got the diagnosis, you believed God could do anything. Now, when you got the diagnosis, now we've elevated man's word above God's word. I understand what man's word is. I thank God for doctors, and I thank God for medicine. I thank God for everything that he does through the brain of man. I, I, I get it. I love it. But it doesn't trump God's word. And so now Paul says that others will be inspired by how I handle my trouble. How you handle crisis is an example to the world around you. It says that the other believers saw the way that he was handling this problem and they, they were encouraged or they were full of courage. They saw that God could still use him in the middle of his trial and it inspired them. I, you ever think about this? Is, is If you see someone win at something, it gives you hope that you can win at it. You've been to an arcade and they got the, you know, the big claw game that nobody ever wins. You know what I'm saying? Just play it over and over, and it's like no, nobody ever wins. But when you see someone win that, it's like, oh, let, let me try it. Because a win gives you confidence that you can win. So when Paul is sitting in prison in chains, and he's rejoicing, the believers are thinking, well, if he can praise God in his situation, then I can praise God in my situation. They became confident because of Paul's example. 
You know, I, I was, I was uh, reading a report on CNN, and they were talking about all of the people, obviously, that have contracted COVID-19 and corona and the, the thousands and thousands and thousands and the, and the deaths and people that have died. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, it's interesting how we say this. Listen, listen to the fear. It's interesting how we do this. We have had so many people die. We're always talking about the people dying. But how many people have lived? The, the death rate is 3.4%, right? So that means that the, 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 the living, the recovering rate is what? 96.6%? What if someone said, hey, guys, great news. 96.6%, you're going to be all right. It is a different narrative. I'm not saying we shouldn't take precaution and be careful, but it is a different narrative when you say 3.4% die. Oh, it's a prophecy. Oh, I'll be the 3.4%. I'll be, and we accelerate the timeline and we begin to live in dread. What about, what about 96% that live? No, I will live and not die to proclaim the works of the Lord. The fear narrative has to change to the faith narrative. And our faith will then begin to inspire and encourage others around us. Faith. Faith. James chapter 1 verse 2. In the message translation it says this. Consider it a sheer gift. Now get ready. It doesn't sound like something good is about to come. Don't you love gifts? Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you will become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Oh, so powerful. Don't try to get out of it prematurely. Maturely. James says, consider it a gift. We call it a curse if we go through trouble. We call it a curse if we suffer. James says, oh man, look at this. God gave you a gift. God trusted you with trouble. I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes say, if God can trust you with pain, he can trust you with power. And isn't that the truth? Is that God can trust us with trouble. Then he can trust us with his call. If he can trust us in the midst of Christ. This is the test of our faith. Not in good times, in bad times. Not in easy times, in challenging times. It's the faith test. To see if we can stand. Faith doesn't just energize. That was Paul in the present. But this is the pivot that we see in the book of Philippians. Faith expects. Faith expects. This is the pivot of faith. Is because for many of us, we try to have faith, but we still expect the worst. We try to have faith, but we still expect these things to happen. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, there's a powerful word. It says will, will, will turn out for my deliverance. You know, for most of us, we would say hope. That's how we would read it. What happened to me, I hope, will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, no, I have confidence in God, and it will. I, I will. I, there's something powerful. This is a future declaration. So we saw the past. His past was reconciled by saying God used 
what I went through to advance the gospel. His present was reconciled because he saw his present situation in change actually inspired others. Now he's reconciling his future, past, present, and future. Now he's looking to the future and he says, and I will. And I will. And I'm going to tell you this. I want to prophesy over your home. You need to get a will in your heart. You need to get a will in your spirit. Not a hope, not a, not a maybe, not a chance, but a I will. Well, I don't want to get it wrong. What if you get it right? Maybe we should just start declaring the word of God with no fear, with no abandon, with, 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 with total abandonment, believing what God says in his word. In the verse 20, the next verse, it says, I eagerly expect and hope. Let me just ask you this question. What are you expecting? And what are you hoping for? What, what are you eagerly expecting? Well, I expect myself to walk out of my house and I'm going to get the virus. What are you expecting? You know, there's a really scary verse in the book of Job. And, and, and I read it uh, years ago and I thought, man, that is an interesting verse because it says this. What he so greatly feared came upon him. Which is interesting. He let fear be a prophet. And what he had feared came upon him. Now, I need to know what God says. I need to know what the Word of God says about my situation, about what I'm feeling. Because I need a I will, not a I hope. I need a I will declaration. To overcome fear, you have to know God is the God of the past, the present, and the future. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And forever. That's what helps you when you look back. Fear tries to get you to remember the pain of yesterday. Faith looks back and sees the advancement of the gospel or the growth from yesterday. Fear in your present situation tries to tell you that it's going to be worse than what it maximizes the danger. Faith in your current situation changes your declaration. Fear about the future accelerates a bad ending. Faith about the future begins to declare and to speak God's word. God's word. I've been praying, obviously, for us as a church community. I've been praying for the world and been praying for these things to happen. And I have seen the church rally. And I want to declare this. This is the greatest time for the church of Jesus Christ. Because the strength of the church, the strength of the gospel, the strength of faith is not seen when everything's going great and we can just all come to church whenever we want. It is seen in the midst of crisis. And I believe this. is God is changing the perspective of America. God's changing the perspective of His church. And He's allowing to see it that this is not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about my comfort, but what I'm going through is not going to take me out. It's actually going to serve to advance the gospel and there could be just maybe a massive revival that comes out of the middle of the COVID-19 virus because when the church was pressed, they stood up and were counted full of faith. Full of the power of God. Our world is completely riddled with fear. Fear accelerating the ending, prophesying our doom. But I want to declare to you that God is releasing and says that he has given each of us a measure of faith. 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 My favorite psalm in the Bible is Psalm 27. 
verse 13 and 14. I want to declare it over you and your family. It says, I remain confident of this. I will. What was that word? I will. I will. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, you know what that means, right? I've just, if you've been around very long, you've heard me explain this. The land of the living means while I'm still alive. This is not, I'm not going to see the goodness of God after I'm dead. I'm not going to see the goodness of God in heaven looking back on my life on earth. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Be strong. And take heart. And wait for the Lord. You know, so many people right now, if it's not happening now, they begin to dread. The longer that time goes by, the more time that goes by that this thing drags on, the more fear begins to fill our soul. But the word and the psalmist declares, be strong and wait for the Lord. There's something powerful about waiting. There's something powerful about not losing your hope, losing your drive, losing your faith in the midst of crisis. Hold on, stay strong, stay planted, have faith, be strong and wait for the Lord. Paul reconciled his past and his present and his future. And I want to prophesy over your future. It's a good future. That God has a good plan. That he is going to work all things out for good. That he's going to take what the enemy meant for evil. And he is going to work it for our Thanks for listening to the Church 1132 broadcast. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com.